the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For this time of worship, uh, we thank you for this time together. Uh, we thank you that you're doing something in this house uh, tonight. And Wairua uh, Tapu, as we welcome you, Holy Spirit, uh, into this place and to do a work in us. Um, we're excited. Uh, we sit expectant in, in expectancy. Have your way tonight as we gather and focus on you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Everyone, grab a, grab a seat. Um, welcome. The first uh, come to the altar or come to the table. <laughs> Sorry, got it wrong first time. Come to the table our first time, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm nervous. Um, I'm nervous because I've been, I guess, working with this and praying about this and, and being pushed into this and, and being, I guess, wrestling with this whole idea of, of an evening service for Ottawa Baptist for a long time. And our young adults have, uh, have pushed me and pushed me, and, uh, and here we are, and, and the leadership of the church sort of agreeing that we as a church are moving in this direction. And, and so we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't really know where this is heading per se. All we know is its focus is on gathering on us as we simplify things and we come to the table. And, uh, and so I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And I really hope uh, God speaks to us tonight. And I really hope he, he moves in us. And I, and I really hope. I really hope that at the end of tonight that uh, you're able to go from here with a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of inspiration, but also a little bit of buy-in, a little bit of hope for where God is taking uh, OBC over this next wee while, over this journey. If you were there this morning, I'd have asked you to turn to the person on your left and your right and say, is this relationship that I have with this person what I consider an essential relationship? in my journey with Jesus? Is the person next to you essential? Is the, are they an essential relationship for you? Because that's what church is. Fundamentally, church is full of relationships, and hopefully they are essential. And, and I can only start with the obvious one, the Trinity. The relationship, this perfect relationship, this perfect communion that exists, and, and we have this beautiful moment where we get invited into that, into this relationship. Now, we aren't God, but we get invited into the work that he is doing. And so for everything we do, tonight and beyond, this coming to the table is hopefully pointing us to that relationship, to our relationship. And, and I don't know about you, but when I still think about the moment that I decided to enter into that relationship, that essential relationship with Jesus a long time ago, it st still does something in me. It still messes me up inside. I, I don't know if it does it for you, when you cast your mind back, does your, your heart still skip? Does that moment of joy, does that butterfly still come into your stomach as you think, man, my life changed. The foundation, everything about my life changed that day or that series of events or that whatever where my relationship went deeper and deeper 
into this relationship, this essential relationship with Jesus. So we're invited into this essential relationship. We need this relationship to survive. But God's church is founded on essential relationships. And so tonight we're going to look at a few. And hopefully you'll be encouraged to go from here. And hopefully you'll see maybe where we as a church are pushing and where we're looking at going and what that might turn into. And so the first one I want to cover tonight is friendships. Essential relationships it, uh, it have to be a friendship. And of course, you're going to be thinking, oh yeah, of course, I couldn't live without my bestie. But when we think about relationships, we also kind of have that other end of the spectrum where you think, well, we're back at school, and you'd be talking to one of your friends, and they'd say to you, uh, this is my best friend, and they'd introduce you to their best friend. And immediately you think, well, that means I'm not your best friend. And so there's this like exclusivity to friendships, and we think, well, wait a minute, Jesus isn't about being exclusive. Jesus isn't about, but actually, when we look at the scriptures, maybe, maybe there's more to this friendships thing than we realize. And so we look at the disciples, perfect, perfect example. At the transfiguration, Jesus took only Peter, James, and John with him. Upon leaving uh, to save Jairus's daughter, he took Peter, James, and John only. And then at the Garden of Gethsemane, he had only Peter and the sons of Zebedee, that is, James and John. And we know the disciples, Peter, had a special task um, as the older one, and, and we know that they had some sort of roles even within the disciples. But if we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, if we look at the emotion that Jesus is feeling... I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake. Those are, that sounds like friendship to me. That sounds like a close, tight friendship. This love of a friend. And we see it more and more throughout the Gospel of John. When we see him referring to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. The one who Christ loves. He, the beloved one, he's talking about himself. And yes, there's, there's more to that. He wants us to, to desperately, he desperately wants us to know how loved we are. And he uses his, himself as an example in that. But he's also gloating a little bit. He's gloating on this friendship and this love, this intimacy, this relationship, this essential relationship that he has with Jesus. I wonder when we look around the friendships that we have, are they a little bit like some of these relationships? Do we grieve and emote and, and, and discuss things the way Jesus discussed with, with these guys? There's some more friendships in the disciples, amongst the disciples, and they really do matter. Uh, when we look at this, this particular verse, this is a strange one because um, Jesus has died. It's the most strange place for friendship to kind of show up. But Jesus has died, and he's been buried in the tomb. And in one of the evenings, Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb. Sorry, in the morning, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb and discovers that Jesus isn't there. And so she takes off to find the disciples, and she finds Simon Peter, and she says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
There's the somber moment. These two guys taking off to, to see what's going on. They've, Jesus has, has died and buried. And for some reason, John thinks it's important to write that one of the disciples running was faster than the other one. The other disciple re outran Peter to get to the tomb first. How is this important to the gospel? It's important to John because he is the other disciple. He outran Peter. He's gloating. He's competitive. There's this friendship level of competition going on here. And you can just tell Jesus was in the background going, I'm going to let him write that in the gospel. I'm going to let him get away with that. Because I was standing in the garden. I was there. I could see. And yet it was kind of funny. Yeah, Peter was kind of slowly tripped. And, and it, was, it was a moment. And it was, it was pretty funny. There's this, there's this competition, there's this friendship level that's going on so much so that it even's made its way into this crazy little part of the Bible. There's this Celtic tradition, this Celtic term called Anamkara. It's considered a soul friendship. It's a, a Celtic tradition, and it's often thought of as, a, as the relationship between a mentor and a mentee. When we think about the relationships that we have, do they go to this level of depth where we can go and meet with this person and they see us just as we are? They come with no judgment. They come with nothing else. I mean, we all love to know and be known. But do we have those relationships where we can come and this person only cares about us growing do we have those essential relationships, those essential friendships, the way Paul and Timothy, Moses and Jethro, Elijah and Elisha, do we have these relationships where these people edify us and they speak into our lives, these people that we can confide in because all they do, all they care about is that we grow and become more and more like Jesus. Do we have those essential relationships around us when we look to our right and to our left are those the people that we see and surround ourselves with maybe there is a little bit of this exclusivity in the gospel one of the other groups that i want us to look at is smaller groups Throughout scripture, we hear of groups meeting in homes, edifying one another, eating together, worshipping together. And so obviously we have to look at the disciples tonight. Jesus had lots of lots and lots of thousands of people at times. At thousands of people at times. Yeah, I got it right. Following him. But there was 12 who were special, who were unique. There were 12 that he had in his inner circle of disciples. And if we take a look at them just for a second, they were different. Four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen. They worked hard, earned a hard living. Fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. He was seen as a traitor and a sellout to the Romans, taking their hard-earned cash, keeping some for himself and giving some to the Romans. Simon was a zealot, a freedom fighter, or to Matthew, he would have been a terrorist. Could you imagine these guys getting around the dinner table at the end of the day and the arguments and the discussions they might have had? And then in the corner, there's Thomas just doubting everything everyone says. Here's this bunch of weird, different people in a room together, doing life together. 
and changing the world together. Maybe it's okay that we disagree with each other on topics. If we have this group that are intentionally speaking into my life and and praying over my life and and sharing their thoughts around my life, maybe it's okay if we don't always agree. Maybe it's okay if we fall out from time to time because that's the beauty of the gospel. It's actually diverse. Looking around the room right now, we're, we're diverse. There's no two of us the same. We're meant for diversity. And even in that diversity and in this humanity, God calls us to this greater plan and purpose and to do it together to help one another grow. And the thing about the disciples is they're just doing ordinary life. They're just doing ordinary life and journeying together and doing their laundry and everything else. And as they went, Jesus did extraordinary. They took the ordinary And they just did life together, as we all do. But because Jesus was in the midst, things became extraordinary. How many times when we read the gospel does it say, and on the way? On the way, God did this. On the way, someone came along and this miracle happens. How many of the miracles happened along the way because they were just doing extraordinary life? Rather than just settling down after a hard day of ministering to people, rather than just settling down and having some supper, Jesus decides he's going to do a miracle and then all of a sudden these disciples are on their feet doing the extraordinary and feeding 5,000. Surrounding ourselves with groups and a group of people who are on the same page, who care for one another, who are facilitating growth in one another, who are doing ordinary life together expecting Christ to do the extraordinary amongst us. These kind of relationships shift and change church. They shift and change us uh, as individuals. They shift and change us as a group. The writer of the Hebrews puts it like this. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as we consider these essential relationships around us, do we have this group? This group that maybe they're not Arnim Kara deep. Maybe we're not confiding the deepest, darkest parts of our soul, but that we are journeying within the ordinary life, who are supporting us when things turn to custard, who are caring about our growth, and we're doing it together, and we're ministering together, and we're seeing Christ do the extraordinary together. As we look around, as you look to your left and your right, are the group there? Are they sitting with you tonight? The third, the final, large gatherings. This is um, one of the, the harder ones for me to probably explain because when we come to church on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, we come to church, we all come with expectations. We have songs that we want to sing and we have a way that we want to do it. And we want to hear the good preaching and we want to uh, be gone and out of there by such and such a time. And we want somewhere safe for my kids to come to. We want something uplifting and encouraging. But in scripture, large groups matter. And they actually have a really important purpose. 
When we come together, it pulls us as individuals, Anamkara, as friends. We, it pulls us together as groups for a larger and unifying purpose. If we just look at the scriptures and think, how many of the letters were written to churches of entire cities, unifying them on a single direction and vision, gathering together matters. In Acts 2, we see uh, a large crowd has just assembled for the Festival of the Weeks. Jews from all over the, over the known world coming together on this pilgrimage, speaking different languages for the same purpose. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit decides to do something incredible. And all of these different language speakers are able to hear and understand in their own language. And in this moment... Like a good preacher man, he spots his moment and Peter stands up. Verse 14. Peter stands up and he preaches. And he gives this preach, this awesome, awesome preach. So good. So good that when we see uh, a few verses later after the preach, 3,000. 3,000. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. He took the puzzles of the pe- the pieces of puzzle that these guys already had as Jews, as believers. He took all these pieces of the puzzle of the Savior they were expecting and went, here it is. It's Jesus. And 3,000 responded. And as a pastor, that, that's stressful. Could you imagine 3,000 people in a day and then thinking, man, now have I got my work cut out for me. There's 3,000 more people in my flock, 3,000 more people that I need to make sure are growing and caring for one another, that are doing life and are okay and growing and knowing Jesus and living that extraordinary life that we just talked about. But then it tells us in verse 42, I think, Verse 42, that why these big things matter and how they went about it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There are four things here that show us uh, why, uh, why large group matters. They devoted themselves to the preaching of the apostles, to the teaching of the apostles. And it might think that uh, this was just a small groups thing, but actually if we looked on further, verse 46, they met in the temple. The temple could hold hundreds, even thousands of people, and they were doing this on the daily, coming and hearing the teachings of the apostles. And then, note, meeting in smaller groups in homes. That last one, important. But here we have this essential relationship, this essential unifying of a large group coming together for the purpose of hearing the word being united on the teachings of the apostles. The second one, fellowship. Those who uh, have their Greek in them, they, they will know that this word is koinonia, which, which closely, or it, it better translates perhaps to sharing. That they, as they journeyed, as they did the ordinary life, they shared. Someone needed some financial support, some financial advice. They were there. They were, they were there. They would, they would fellowship. They would share that information. If they needed the shirt off their back, they would share and fit into it. They would work together. They would do life together. And this fellowship was more than just hanging out. It was being there for one another and investing in these relationships. 
The third one is to the breaking of bread, eating together. There's something about food that brings us together. And I know this because as a youth pastor, I see teenagers driven by their, by their stomachs. But, but there's something special when we get around the table and we eat. And we share stories and we share life and we encourage each other as there's crumbs and stuff dribbling down their chin. But we do this life and we share these stories and it's this moment of intimacy. Special times. And of course, part of that is the communion feast. And the fourth one, the prayers. Notice I didn't say the prayer the prayers. These were Jews. They were coming with thousands of years of tradition and, 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 and wisdom. They're bringing the Shema. They're bringing the Psalms. Years and years of these incredible relationships that they've had with God the Father. And in these moments, in the prayers, they are responding to God. They are reciting these prayers. They are worshiping God. And it is for these reasons that tonight we come together. We're challenged on the essential relationships next to us and around us. And as we go from here, I really hope and pray that you are challenged on the essential relationships that you have put around you or need to put around you. But as we go into those essential relationships, we come in here to the table. We come in as a larger group to do these things, to worship together to learn together, to be unified on this vision, plan, and purpose that Christ has for us. And so I'm going to invite the band back up. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to have this sort of extended set. Like I say, we don't really know where these evening services necessarily are going. But what we do know is that we want to come and worship. And that we do want to come and learn. That we want to come and fellowship and break bread. And we want to f- come and and come back to the central point of what we do. We want to come and remember that Christ went to the cross, died, conquered death in order that we may live, that we all may live. And so as the band plays, what we're going to do is, is in your own time, in, in your space, we are going to partake of this together. So as you feel led, come and grab your own um, juice and wafer and take it in your own time, in your own worship, because we're doing this together. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but we're in this feast. And so um, why don't we stand? Let's pray for this meal. Let's pray for one another. Let's consider the essential relationships in our journey and in our life and how they could better us in our journey, in our caring. God, we are so grateful that you went to the cross, that you died and rose again, bearing my sin and shame. And now I merely come to your feet and remember you, that we, as a larger group, made up of individuals and smaller groups. Come and remember your sacrifice. That we come and remember what you have done and laid it at the table for us. Christ, we, we only wish to worship you. 
and praise you and become more like you. Please have your way and do a good thing in us. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.